The records don't lie, but your ancestors might. Welcome to The Criminal Genealogist, where true crime and genealogy intersect. Welcome back, my criminal genies, to The Criminal Genealogist podcast. I hope you enjoyed episode one of this new season about Mike Globenfeld. After I recorded, I found more records of his two of his brothers who also got in trouble with the law. What the heck was going on with that family? All right. Today's story is a great one. But before we get started, let's talk about how you can support the podcast. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and on your favorite podcast apps. Giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts would make us so happy. If you are enjoying the content, let your friends know. And most importantly, if you have an ancestor who couldn't behave, let us know. You can visit the website at thecriminalgenealogist.com and leave a voice message or use the contact form. Or you can email us at thecriminalgenealogist at gmail.com. All the links are in the show notes. All right, let's get started. Today's episode was sent to me by fellow genealogist, Susan Fabian. I have a link in the show notes with her profile for APG website, which is the Association of Professional Genealogists. And a little bit about Susan. She is a research and genetic genealogist specializing in tackling brick wall problems and adoption cases using DNA. Her regional expertise is in Baltimore City and Maryland state records. She holds a certificate in genealogical research from Boston University. She is currently enrolled in ProGen 52, which we just completed. Yay. She's also a NGSQ study group and other genealogical study groups. She's continued her education with Institute courses in genetic genealogy, advanced research, forensic genealogy, and teaching genealogy. What started as a challenge to find a family member nearly 30 years ago has blossomed into a passion for solving family puzzles, which Susan shares enthusiastically with anyone who will listen. And I have to start out by saying that Susan is a fabulous researcher and made my job easy because she did all the work. I need more episodes like this one. This is about her great-great-grandmother's brother, John's son, Edward, and his family. Say that fast three times. That is a mouthful, so follow me for a minute to get this relationship visualized. I'll put a quick tree in the show notes so you can see exactly what I'm saying. So Susan's two-times great-grandmother was Julia Stone von Hagel, and Julia's brother was John Henry Stone. John and his wife, Mary Emma Johnson, had a son named Edward Stone, and Edward's relationship to Susan is first cousin three times removed. So Edward and Susan's great-grandparent are first cousins, and Susan is three generations removed. Our story today is focused around Edward and his family, but also his parents. Edward Arthur Stone was born September 3rd, 1888 in Haver de Grace, Hartford County, Maryland. He was the son of John Henry Stone and Mary Emma Johnson, as I stated earlier. He had five known siblings, all sisters, two older sisters, and three younger sisters, But something on the 1900 census caught my eye. The two older sisters, born in the same year, so perhaps twins, and his two youngest sisters, also possibly twins, are not on the census. It states that mom had nine children, but only two were living. This absolutely broke my heart. You cannot imagine losing seven children. 
Edward's parents had been married for 20 years by 1900, and Edward was 11 at the time of the census, and his younger sister was nine. The four other known sisters must have died prior to the census, and there are three other children, too, that we can't account for. It's already complete devastation for this family, and they have no idea what is ahead of them. Have you ever been interested in recording your own podcast? Check out the podcast maker, Alitu. Record, edit, and publish your podcast in half the time. Alitu automates sound engineering, simplifies editing, and makes recording remotely more convenient so you can focus on growing your show. Check out my referral link in the show notes and get started today. In the 1910 census, the only child at home with the parents was the same daughter from the 1900 census, May Stone, and no further children had been born. Living next door was Edward and his wife Hattie and their one-year-old son, Edgar. Edward wed Harriet Hattie Virginia Blackburn on May 1, 1908 in Rising Sun, Cecil County, Maryland. Hattie was born February 1892 in Maryland likely in Havita Grace, to parents John Blackburn and Margaret, last name is unknown. John was a cemetery sexton, meaning that he was in charge of the cemetery. Maryland counties did not start keeping birth records until 1898, so no birth record exists for Hattie's 1892 birth to know the exact date. Edward and Hattie had two sons. Edgar Ellsworth Stone was born April 23, 1909. And George S. Stone was born January 26, 1914, both in Haver de Grace. Edward's father, John Henry Stone, died February 2, 1919. So in the 1920 census, his widow and Edward's mom, Mary, was living with Edward, Hattie, and sons. Following from 1924 through 1929, the family experienced four deaths. Mary Stone, Edward's mom, died January 8, 1924. Edgar Stone, their son, died June 7, 1927. Edward Stone died January 30, 1928. And George Stone died June 4, 1929. Some thought that Hattie was an unfortunate person to have her husband and sons all die within two years of each other, and all of them had mysterious symptoms. But Edward's sister, Nellie May Stone Baker, had suspicions and reported this to the police. It was a tenant at the stone home that found the arsenic hidden in a shed. Family members were disinterred and arsenic was found in their bodies. Records revealed that Hattie had taken out life insurance policies on family members and soon after the person died. Evidence of gambling deaths was one of the suggested reasons for this life insurance fraud. More investigation found that Hattie was keeping a boyfriend at a house down the street and they had plans to run away together. Hattie was ultimately sentenced to prison and served from 1929 to at least 1940, where she was found in the census at the state prison. Thank goodness for newspaper reports about the tragedy and the trial because the court records for the county for the 1929 forward period no longer exist. Although prison records may exist, they must be followed from the time of incarceration. The prison records for 1929 to 1935 no longer exist. So although records after this date may survive, there's no way to find Hattie without the first record set, according to the archivist at the Maryland State Archives. 
According to those various newspaper articles, Hattie was sentenced to 18 years and was denied parole three times. If she served her full sentence, she would have been released in 1947. I did search through the census records for 1950 in the district where the prison was and did not find her listed as an inmate. Since the 1950 census has not been 100% indexed, Susan hasn't been able to search for her since Hattie's whereabouts at that time are unknown. And Susan read or heard a rumor that Hattie and a prison guard fell in love, and when she was released, they married. She has never found any records as proof of this rumor, but if she did get married and took off, who knows what name she would be under to be able to find her. By then, she would have been about 58 years old. Hattie was convicted of second-degree murder. She was adamant about her innocence throughout the trial and her request for a parole. I'd be curious what options there were to convict her of and why first-degree murder wasn't an option. If she did this, then it was premeditated. But perhaps in 1929-1930, this wasn't the law yet. I'll have to do some research on Maryland criminal law. Going back to those newspaper articles, there were over 400 articles from 1930 to 1940. This was big news across the country. Earlier, I stated that Hattie had a boyfriend down the street. Some articles indicated that he was a lodger in their home, but no census records show any lodgers. Now, it's possible that he moved in after the husband died or rather was murdered, but we don't have a census record to verify that. This is one of the reasons that newspaper articles need to be verified and corroborated, just like any evidence you find in your research. Another conflict is the 1920 census that shows Mary Stone was divorced, but she was actually widowed. There are no known divorce records, and they are buried together, so likely they were not divorced prior to his death in 1919. The family is all buried at Angel Hill Cemetery in Haver de Grace, Maryland. There were rumors that Hattie was buried in the same cemetery in an unmarked grave, but no proof of that either. In fact, it's not known when she died, where she was, or where she was buried. The one person that I feel for the most is Edward's sister, Nellie Mae Stonebaker. She lost eight siblings, her parents, and her nephews all before she was 40 years of age. Mae appears to have had only one child, Emma Mary who was married and living with her parents on the 1950 census, along with her husband. Emma was 39 and her husband was 37, and there were no children living with them. May and her husband both died in 1971, and Emma died in 1980. It's unclear whether she had any children. It's times like this where I appreciate people like Susan, who keep her family's history alive, because there is likely no one else to tell Edward's story. Whether you are a family historian or a professional genealogist, thank you for doing what you do. I hope to have an update about Hattie for a future follow-up episode to find out what she did after prison. Luckily, she was too old to have had more children to do more harm. Well, at least to her children. One thing that I found that seemed a little suspicious, and it could be just total coincidence, but I found the death certificate for Hattie's father and he died the same year that her father-in-law did in 1919. His cause of death, he was struck by an automobile. No details on who hit him or what happened, but given the situation of this family and the things that Hattie was accused of and convicted of, it wouldn't surprise me if she was involved in that. Allegedly. Until next time, my criminal genies, remember, 
Records don't lie, but your ancestors might. 